Well, this is a trip. This has never actually happened before. Generally speaking, you know, when you all ask me to ruminate on stuff, the movies, I mean, it's for stuff that's been out. You know, I've, I've ruminated on the films from the 70s all the way up to the 10s, I guess. <laughs> but I've never had to ruminate on a film that just came out, like, a month and a half ago. In fact, usually I like to share with you the cost of the film and how much money it made, just to give a little bit of extra evidence or information on how well the film is perceived as doing financially. I can't do that. The film hasn't actually finished its run yet, so I don't really have concrete data. It's still being tabulated. And, of course, since that film came out, you know, Soul came out during the pandemic, it didn't have the normal theatrical release, which is the same general problem we had last time. So... <laughs> The figures would be difficult to tabulate under the circumstances, or at least the information sources I have anyways. We'd have to look at this in a different fashion entirely, and I'm not even sure if they publicly release that kind of info. It also means I have very little behind-the-scenes material since, I mean, hell, they haven't even done a proper behind-the-scenes release of this film yet. I saw a couple of behind-the-scenes, like, deleted scenes, and there was a making of the visual look of the before, but that's all I got. So I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to fail at it. As usual. So, Peter Doctor, again. Oh, by the way, this is the first Pixar film without Ratzenberger. I don't know why. That's the weird part. It's not like he hasn't been snuck in, in oftentimes, in just in a one-line cameo. So the fact that they went out of their way to disclude him from this one is something I find very strange. And I'm not sure what the reasoning is. It could be just they want to cut that at some point anyways. Maybe he was tired of doing it. Maybe he's made his money and doesn't need it. I mean, there's lots of possible reasons for he is getting old. But my point is you'd think someone would say, yeah, no, this this is my last one. I'm going to do this as my last film and then I'm done. But there's been nothing. He's just absent from the film. Now, yes, I know his likeness was used as a physical cameo. But John Ratzenberger didn't do any voice acting for this film is my point. Anyways, back to Doctor. So Peter Doctor was like, all right, I did it. I completed this great, amazing film. Got an Academy Award for it. Now what? And he was hit with that overwhelming sense of, now what? Now, that can actually be really, really scary. I know that sounds like a strange thing. So many of us, myself included, are on the other side of that curve where we haven't succeeded yet, where we haven't made it big yet. We, we didn't make a big smash film or a big smash song or a big smash sports play or win a big smash cup or play big smash melee. We, we, we haven't gotten to that point yet. And so it probably sounds weird from this side of the fence being like, what's your problem, dude? But at the same time, it is understandable, I think, because the idea is you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up, you did it! Now what? And there's just that overwhelming sense of... And if you let your thoughts spiral, if you don't keep control of them, God, that could get out of hand so quickly, couldn't it? I could just spiral wildly out of control. Why did I even bother? It was years of my life, all burnt on nothing. Oh, God, was it worth it? Have I been wasting my life? Should I try something else? Should I do something else? And midlife crisis. Now, Doctor managed to get himself in order relatively quickly. According to him, I, like I said, I did find a couple things. According to him, he mentioned that he really just kind of felt like there should be a big different feeling. Like it should feel differently on the other side of the fence. And according to him, it didn't. 
It felt the exact same way it did before. He's got the medal now, he's got the honorific, but it was just life, another day in his life. And you see where the film is coming from. From that core inspiration, he decided, okay, well, I need to focus on something that isn't filmmaking or animation. Uh, what do I think of? What do I think of? And they shop-talked it around, the, you know, the, the group, and came up with the idea of music. Let's focus on music. Because music's one of the few u human universals, right up there with food and sex, actually, is the other one. Or at least romance would probably be a better way to put that. So we've got the, the big human universals, and we don't want to do a story about you know romance and sex, and we've already done a story about food. So putting music in actually makes a lot of sense, even though we've already done that with Coco. And it was also about the afterlife. Anyways, it's okay. It's still a good film. <laughs> Just thought I'd point it out. So once they settled on music, it's like, okay, well, we need music that's going to just really speak to the soul, because that's the whole point, is the before. And what do you think of when you think of music and soul? So, <laughs> it, it, and you could see how this then logically followed the progression. The script almost wrote itself. As soon as he decided, uh, as soon as they, excuse me, let's give proper credit here, as soon as they, because Kemp Powers was brought in on this, too, I'll come to him in just a second, were brought in and thought about this, it, it just followed logical progression. And that's how writing can be sometimes. Every every idea you come up with prompts a question, which an answer, prompts a question, which an answer, and then you have your script, because you've answered all the questions. Now, I was ready to talk about this in a similar relation to Coco, because Disney met, bothered to do due diligence and bring in Latino cast members and Latino creative staff, and that's cool, right? Surely they did the same with this. Uh, no. Well, they do obviously have several African-American cast members and several people working on it, including, uh, you know, several of the main creative staff. That was something that was added in relatively late into development, despite the obvious conclusion of the fact, and this is what they concluded early on, that music, jazz, African-American culture. I mean, it just followed a natural flow there, right? <sighs> Whatever. I'm, I'm No stars, Disney. No stars. What's really strange about this, too, is the, uh, the Kemp Powers is credited by several people as the one who renovated the story and actually did bring in several people to study, you know, African-American culture in order to try and hit that particular note and get those characters right and not hit caricatures and blah, 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 right? But that was all down to him, and he wasn't brought in at the immediacy. He was brought in kind of later. Now... Some of you may know that I cover Star Trek, or at least covered. I guess it would still be going live as of this video, up until, I think, next March, from your perspective, something like that. I've got the calendar over there, but I'm not going to reference it right now. Point is, I cover Star Trek, and I've been covering Star Trek for 9 to 12 years by the time this video goes live. And there's a weird connection here, because Kent Powers is actually a Discovery writer. In fact, he wrote several episodes of Discovery. And that just feels very strange to me, for reasons that I don't want to go into right now. But it's just interesting to kind of end this particular floodgate cycle, which may or may not be significant long-term-wise, on Star Trek and Star Trek. Because starting tomorrow, I'm going to start working on the Enterprise videos that have been going live for the last year. Scheduling. Anyways, anyways. So, Mr. Powers did some good stuff, pulled in some ideas. Um, got the script kind of stru structured the way they wanted to do it. And they're like, okay, we've got everything good. We've got everything cool. Let's go ahead and jump into the film. Now, 
Oh, gosh, where do I begin? There's this bit where he's uh, doing the piano thing, and he talks about this story, about how much the piano inspired him. And, oh, man, I want to talk like... I want to learn to talk like that. How many of you remember micro-recorders? They were... Little things, uh, smaller than my phone here is actually, but, you know, so probably about half the size of the phone here. But you had the little micro cassette tapes and you record and you play and it was just a way to have a, a portable method of audio. I used to record music. I'd hold it up to my TV and record the music and listen to it. And mine had a button I could hold down that would slow down the playback. So I used to record music from Final Fantasy IV, that is to say Final Fantasy II on the SNES, and listen to it in slow-mo. What's the relevance here? That was how I learned music. That's how I learned theory and melody and harmony and counterbalance and all those things that I actually to this day still don't have words for. Because I never went to music theory class. I mean, I did, but I flunked out of it immediately. But I, I never actually learned music theory. I just listened to the music because I wanted to talk like that. I'm curious if any of you out there have a similar feeling or similar vibe for something in your life as well. Um... So he's he's getting a full-time gig, and it's going to give him job security, insurance, and a pension f for a teacher for at a public school. What universe is that, and how do I get over there? Because they take care of their teachers better than we do over here, especially in New York. My God. <clears throat> so we have some really bad good dinosaur syndrome. I think I'm going to codify that lorem. It just keeps coming up. There is so much of this film looks photorealistic and amazing and gorgeous and awesome, and the people are very clearly stylized, pretty much straight-up incredible style. And it's really stark and really weird and really awkward, like it always is. I regret ever seeing that film, because I just can't stop seeing it now. My God. I apologize for any of you out there who have ruined your experience by pointing out good dinosaur syndrome. Holy crap. But it's okay. Because then he goes out, he starts playing at the piano at the jazz party. And what's funny is they just start playing. He's like, what song are we doing? No answer. So he just jumps in. Now, he jumps in successfully. Takes him a little bit to catch the rhythm, catch the beat, and get into there and get a harmony going underneath them. I will never know that. <laughs> I'm not a musician. I, I, music is math to me. It's all formulas and equations and balancing, you know, trying to equal out the equation. That's that's math in my head. That's why I construct music. Uh, when I construct music, I'm looking at waveforms and patterns and numbers, right? The ability and talent to just sit there and play in. I'm wondering if any of you have that talent. Just, just out of curiosity. You don't have to share. I'm just curious. My uncle, technically my great uncle, but age range. My uncle, uh, he was involved in a band at one point as a drummer and a manager, and he used to say the same thing. That is to say the opposite of what I just said. That you just get in there and one person just starts playing and everyone else just kind of starts sliding in, right? They just kind of start following suit and start playing naturally and smoothly with the other musicians, just being able to pick up the, the, the chords. <sighs> I don't know how you do that. That's just, it's wild to watch that. But anyways, I just wanted to comment on it. Because he does that naturally, and you could you can kind of tell he's a, I don't know how to put this, he's a, he's a good musician. He's a real musician. Because he can do that. It's not because he can play by himself. It's not because he can play by a band. It's because he can slide into a pre-existing play, play set 
Well, that sounds weird. Pre-existing pre set and just naturally join it. Some good stuff. It also shows that he knows his stuff, which is important for stuff that's going to come up as well. So then he narrowly avoids dying like five times in a row because he's not paying any attention and dead. Nine minute mark. Kind of a short film, but that's okay. Uh, tune in next time. No, 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 obviously. So he's dead. Now the film gets really interesting. Uh, I, I don't know where to start. They show the afterlife, kind of. But more accurately, they don't show the afterlife. They show the procession to the afterlife. They they show this really cool idea. Because the afterlife, the, the limbo is effectively what it is. The, the, the conveyor is all uh, black. And at the end is all white. And it's slowly being absorbed out into it. And the color is being disseminated into it. And then there's this little blip of the three colors before it blips out into that. And that's all we get. What do you think happens? How do you think that goes? How do you think that processes? There's so many possibilities there. But I'm going to leave that alone. Because the film does. The film isn't really about the afterlife. The film is about the before life. Or the great before is what they call it. So this then cuts over to them going to the great before. So he has a little bit of a thing. Now, the first and most interesting thing I noticed... The Jerry's and Terry all have the ability, they all have the ability equally to kind of make these little square portals in dimensional space, just kind of going into and out of dimensions. They do it in the before, they do it in the middle, they do it in on Earth, and they can do it in, in any kind of combination thereof, right? But it's always a distinct visual. When Joe falls down into the great before, it's clear that he was put there by one of those portals. Who do you think did that? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm legitimately curious of your thoughts on that one. Because, in my opinion, based on the way they show it, someone was very clearly doing that. Not only to get him out of the, the plummet through uh, what I can only call quantum possibility realm, in down into the great before, but also when he tried to jump down to Earth and then was dropped back and then jumped down to Earth and was dropped back and jumped down to Earth and you get the idea. Someone was keeping him there. Or something. Anywho. I presume one because most of the things are personified. After all, we do see the, and I quote, visualization of all quantized fields of the universe. Quantized, I, I actually did bother to look that up to make sure I knew what it meant, and I, I do. I'm, I'm going to fail at describing it so hard that I'm not even going to try. <laughs> it is an interesting expression. It, I suppose it's the idea of all that has been hammered down to be possible as existing. I don't know why I'm even trying to explain this, because I suck at quantum physics. But everything that has the possible, everything that is left over after possibility has been removed from the equation, such that what is left is everything that exists within that equation. There you go. That's, that's as good as I got. So they're not everything. They're just everything that currently is and can be. You could also argue the word might would fall into there, too. That everything that might be. But I, I, I don't know. Either way, they look brilliant. In fact, the whole of the before looks brilliant. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful visual design. Everything's soft. Um, really, really light. Uh, kind of spring tones, 
you know we've got the like the light blues the light yellows and the kind of passive peaches all sorts of really beautiful color stuff the they're not actually two-dimensional objects but they are presented as if they are except they are still fully morphic 3d objects that can move around each other just everything they do in the before i i would i would love to just sit and gush but i don't want to waste your time and all it would be was just me saying oh my god it's so cool like but it's it's some great stuff excellent 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 job to the animators um so they land there everything's soft everything's morphic literally going into different dimensions that's cool uh terry is presented as different from jerry different color scheme obviously they have a different name as well and they, <laughs> they <laughs> i'm sorry terry decides i'm gonna go ahead and check the filing cabinets what i love about this is they go to check the filing cabinets they start at aa <laughs> and the aas are so vast they fill up the entire screen and then the camera pans out and pans out and pans out and we see the filing cabinets of which there are so many of course there are. This leads to one of the Jerry's, and the Jerry, they're like, uh, bleh, they're, they're like, uh, R's to L's. I always have trouble with that. They're like, I have to put a pause in there. Um, so here's soul number 108 billion. And I, that just got a laugh out of me immediately. And then over here is soul number 22. Oof. That implies so much immediately. Just, Right off the bat, oh, you've been here a while, haven't you? Oh, yeah, you've been here a very, very, very long time. Oh, my goodness. The idea of a soul that doesn't want to be born is fascinating in its own right. Now, as we discover, 22 does want to be born. It's just they're not really sure what and how, what yet. Uh, I suppose I could call 22 a she, since she kind of identifies as a she, but not really, and is voiced by a woman. And I will probably continue to do so, just so I don't screw up and say something stupid. But it's interesting to note that 22 is very clearly presented as not having a gender yet, because of course they don't. They're a soul that hasn't been born yet. Although they're apparently going to end up somewhere in China, if I was uh, tracking the map correctly at the end there. I'm probably not. I don't know my geography that well. Somewhere in Asia is a rather large territory, because it's definitely east of the, uh, the Red Sea. But anyways, <clears throat> so... They do a lot of the Monsters, Inc. thing here. Lots of exposition, quick and dirty. Okay. The pass is specific to you. You have to fill it up with these certain things. There's six spots you have to fill out, and then the seventh spot just shows that you're ready to go. Cool. Um, there's a, a museum that's all about you and your life. It is implied very briefly, and implied again later in the film in an unrelated dialogue, that you curate your own museum. So it's whatever you think should be there that is there. This is, And I'm saying that wrong. Because obviously if that was true, it would just be this big, glorious, yes, I'm super awesome. But what I mean is it's more like what you actually think of yourself. The way you actually view yourself. And obviously it's not really all that uh, positive. Because most of us don't really think all that great of ourselves, do we? So it's just kind of this boring, nothing, nobody life. Okay, that's cool. We have the hypotheticals. That's also cool. Uh, the Hall of Everything. No Senses, which is obvious foreshadowing. Just lots of really cool stuff. The music keeps stopping every time, you know, uh, 22 is like, meh. Nice little tidbit there. And 
Then we get to the part where they go to the astral plane. Now, the astral plane, first of all, is brilliantly visually presented. I know, you're probably tired of me saying that, but God, look at it, look at it. What's great is the sand, it reminds me of frosting more than anything else, like like on a cake, as you as they're carving through it, because it shifts and moves, but it holds its shifted and moved state, almost like like, a, like it's been carved or sculpted to that. The other thing it reminds me of, I don't know what it's called, my niece has a toy, and it's this little thing, and it's got this type of sand, and it, it's like this clay sand, and it keeps its shape, and you could use it to sculpt and make things, and then you just smash it down, and you make something else, right? That's kind of what it reminded me of, and that just fits for the astral plane, doesn't it? Something that is imminently uh, alterable, but only if something external is altering it, otherwise it maintains its current state indefinitely. And we find out that people who zone out, or zone in, end up in the astral plane. Okay, still more exposition, still more rules and establishment. I'm loving it, I'm loving it. There's this bit where 22 throws the, the rock or whatever at one of the Knicks. I've been messing with this team for years. That that actually got a laugh out of me. I, feel, I felt really bad for it, but the Knicks joke got a laugh out of me. I, I will freely admit that. Uh, so then we see the monsters... The Lost Souls. And we find out that these people come here to try and help the Lost Souls, because the Lost Souls are, well, in some cases they're there because they are exactly as it says on the tin. They're lost. Their souls have become emptied or morassed or whatever, and they're the kind of person that is simply no longer functioning as a normal human being, right? But, and they exposit this very quickly, that doesn't mean all the people up there are monsters. There are implied to be monsters. We never actually see any. Instead, the ones we specifically encounter are people who have become obsessed or fixated on something to the point where they have lost focus. Sounds familiar? And so they slowly just self-perpetuate. I am this, therefore I am this, therefore I am this, therefore I am this. And the obsession kind of takes hold. Must trade, must trade, must trade. By the way, another hedge fund person. I would absolutely believe, if this format and structure existed in real life, that plenty of hedge fund managers would fall into this obsession spiral. No doubt whatsoever. So, we find out about the monsters, we find out about that. The sand thing I mentioned here. The lost souls are just really, really cool. Um, this is when I want to mention something. Before they had really codified this film, it was just set in the great before. Like, there were going to be you know, forays to Earth, but the, the dominant part of the film was set in the great before and nothing else. And I can kind of see why. This is a huge playground, narratively speaking, to work with, and in, in terms of animation as well. There's so much you can do with this place. I almost kind of hope for a Souls 2 just because I want to see more done with this. I know, that's a really selfish and terrible excuse, but God, it's brilliant. And I wouldn't mind hearing Mr. Fox again, because he's awesome in basically everything he's in. So, I mean, he was the only redeeming trait of Amazing Spider-Man 2, for God's sakes. <laughs> you know? So, I would love to see more of this. But anyways. Uh, then we hit the antics portion of the movie. Now, I don't have much to say about antics, because they're antics. But I do want to comment on something. First of all, we see Ratatouille's cousin. His American cousin is stealing some pizza, like you do. He's in the cat. 
Haha, antics. Uh, 22 is in the... I'm trying really hard to avoid pronouns here. 22 is in Joe's body. That sucks. Now, uh, can I just say, there's several reasons I like fiction. I know, shocking. But uh, non-interactive fiction tends to boil down to a few core things I'm looking for. Um, Sometimes it's all about the characters. You know, seeing them, the actors, the actresses, the voice acting, the presentation of it. You know, the characters. I really get into the characters. Um, sometimes it's the actual moments. You know, moments of awesome. Moments of heart-rending. Moments of heart-warming. You know? Just moments of yes. Sometimes it's the the cinematography. Just the way that they creatively use the camera. Or do the long shots. Or try to do inventive, interesting things with the lighting. Which they do several times in this film, by the way. There's this great transition shot later. Where the cat was right here as Joe, and is explaining to 22 what's it's saying. And the camera pans back around his mother's head, and when it comes back here, it's just Joe talking. And the cat's just sitting there staring intently. And thus, we don't actually show the back and forth, we just show the resultant of it. What we're seeing is effectively a uh, a translation of the actual scene that's happening, not the literal scene that's actually happening. Lots of really cool stuff like this. Great transitions and great uh, usage of camera in this film. Which, of course, leads me to animation, which usually is only relevant for, you know, CGI films or animated films. But really good animation is just a a treat to watch. It's one of the things I've loved most about going through this Pixar block, is actually sitting down and just getting to see all of the amazing ideas and storyboarding that they do. But I've left off one thing right at the end here. Ideas. One of the things I treasure most, even though it happens so rarely, if I'm being honest, is when an an idea is sparked within me for watching a show or a movie or reading a book. Because that is ju- that it just engages me. It invokes more ideas within me. It's like, oh, that's, that's great. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we could try this. And it, that, that gets me my creative juices going, you know? Anybody out there in a similar vein? I, I mentioned this because while this film has decent character and great moments and great cinematography and great animation, this film was an idea film for me. I kind of want to watch it again just to kind of pay attention and maybe take a few notes. (sighs) Anyways, sorry for going off on that. I just wanted to speak on that for briefly. Let's talk about the antics. Okay, so the antics are done. Actually, what I really like is the idea. This is something that's been expressed in other fiction as well. Hey, you are now in a body for the first time. Welcome to food. Welcome to walking, welcome to petting a cat, you know, getting introduced to sensation for the first time for someone who's used to having no sensation at all. And how, in almost every case, it's this amazing, remarkable, wonderful thing. Sometimes it's an overload and drives them insane, but most of the time it's a wonderful thing. (laughs) It's a wonderful pizza. There you go, there's your film idea. Um, There's also a couple of little tidbits that really help to showcase some things they hadn't actually figured out yet. First of all, Your class is the only reason I went to school at all. So I'm going to try and give you another shot. Caught that, right? Just kind of slid under the rug there. That that is a person who he helped get through the early part of his life by virtue of really bothering to be a good teacher. God, there's good teachers in this setting, too. I need to move to this world. Um, Connie shows up surprisingly good with the trombone. This is when I'm going to comment on something I don't think I've mentioned before. Obviously, the, 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 the terrain looks amazing. You know, good, good dinosaur syndrome. But I noticed you can see, um, I guess you can't see, 
I'll use here as an example. There's just very, very fine hairs, like right here. They're barely visible. Honestly, you would only see them if you're, if you're like, like this, like I'm three inches from my hand, and I happen to be holding it up to the light, and that's the only way I could see it. But those are rendered on the human models now. And I don't know, I don't know if it's been there before. I've never seen it before. But they're there, and in the very close shots, when the light catches it, you can see it. And it's just, it's just yet another wonderful little tidbit that adds to the presentation and adds to the visual appeal of the, the, the artistic design of these films. It's funny. What's it been? 26 years? And this, this series, this, this company continues to blow me away with its animation. That's impressive. 22 uh, starts talking about philosophy at the barbershop. Great scene, by the way. And what's funny is 22 is speaking literally, but none of them realize it. They all figure 22 is just kind of, you know, I don't know, talking philosophy, talking shop or whatever. But, and, you know, getting real. Oh, my God, that must be horrible for you. You didn't get to be your dream. Oh, no, no, I love being a barber. I love my life. What? Why? Well, you know, I mean, vet's awesome, but barbershop's cleaner, and I get to do all these cool things, and by the way, thanks for not talking about jazz for once. And Joe's face as a cat is just... <sighs> How did you do that? 22 even knocks down Paula Peg, which is funny because later on, 22 then reaches out to Paul and says, hey, gives Paul one of the lollies and says, it was all in good fun. I didn't mean it. No harm intended. And that's background dialogue. But it's interesting because it shows that 22 isn't actually, you know, malevolent, as, as could be inferred based on how all of the flashbacks between 22 and the famous mentors go. All, however many hundred of them. So, we have some great transitions. I talked about this before. This was, this is a Pixar Tears moment for me. I was really surprised by that. Just Joe being honest. Just, just that's it. Nothing else. Just Joe being honest with his mother. And really being like, look, this is something that really matters to me. Now, I know it's not going to be practical. and I know it's not going to put, put food on the, the table and it's not going to pay the bills. But this is me and my life. And this is the quote that really caught me. I'm afraid. Excuse me. I'm just afraid that if I died today, my life would amount to nothing. How many of you relate to that one? Because I do. I've done a lot of crap in my life, but I still think that. Do you know that I upload these videos every night after I record them, just in case, just to make sure that there's just a little bit extra I've done, just on the off chance that I die in my sleep, or get super sick, or get run over by a car, or whatever? Because I have these kind of thoughts uh, pretty frequently. What's it for, right? Now, I don't say that to be depressing. Rather the, rather the opposite. I'm losing my accent here. The point is that as he is opening up to his mother, it it tears down whatever boundaries has been there because he just hasn't, you know, you're going to run away like you always do because he just couldn't stand up to his mother. And he finally does, but not in an angry way or in a competitive way or an antagonistic way. He just opens up. He just says, here, this is me. And that's when she embraces him. She even goes to the gig. Um, so, very small note, as they're wandering around, we notice that 22 keeps Brad Pitting. Nice little t t touch as the teach. Uh, 
taste. That's the word I was going for. As the taste is something that she's still so new to. And you notice she tries, they try something different every single time 22 goes out to eat something. It's awesome. Um, so then, you know, she, his mother, puts him in a new suit. Damn, that's a good suit. I'm just saying. That suit looks legit. I wish I had a suit that nice. Uh, so, there's this really interesting bit where 22 is sitting there. And they're just kind of looking around, taking in you know, the environment, watching everything. It's just a moment. That's all it is. It's just a moment. Just a moment of, huh. You ever have those? I used to have those when I'd take out the trash. I know that sounds so stupid, but, you know, garbage dump. I live in an apartment complex, so we have the one big uh, garbage bin that you take all the trash to rather than putting it out on the curb. And I'd just be walking out there and you just look up and listen and feel. There's the wind going through the trees and usually it's night because that's when I have time to do things like that. So you just look at the stars and catch the wind and the, the clouds and sometimes there's some rain lightly pouring down for which I would just take my glasses off for when I'm doing it so I can just enjoy it proper. And you just look around and have that kind of a moment. You know? <laughs> Joe tells 22... Uh, that's not your purpose. That's just plain old living. <laughs> Completely missing the point, even in his own statement. Um, so the protags argue before the final act, because it's mandatory. And there's this wonderful bit where one of the Jerry's is like, oh, you're just confusing your purpose and your spark. That's not how that works. Purpose. You're funny. And the Jerry implies that there is no such thing. That there's no purpose when it comes to living. That's uh, that's pretty apt, actually. Some people think there has to be some definitive purpose. I'm here to do this. And that's it. And that's their thing. I will admit I don't agree with that. But at the same time, it could also be true on an individual basis. Because what I tend to think is that life is what you decide it is. There it is. There's the secret of life right there. Bam. Go ahead. Get the 42 joke out of the way. I mean it, though. You decide what life is for you. That's that's how that works. So, if just the everyday thing works, or if just the big purpose thing works, or whatever it is, it's on you. No one else gets to tell you that. There's a... He goes down. He's so awesome. Yeah, it goes, plays. It goes great. It's a great set. One in a million. Fantastic. He's finally made it. Now what? And it's, it's credit to the animators, credit to Mr. Fox. It's all over the entire presentation of the voice acting and the animation. Now what? I thought it would feel different on the other side of the fence. This then leads to, you know, his realization and his showcasing, and this leads to the quote. I actually have the quote right over here. Heard this story about a fish, swims up to an older fish and says, Hey, I'm trying to find this thing called the ocean. Ocean, the older fish says. That's what you're in right now. This, says the younger fish, is water. What I want is the ocean. People have done essays on that. Actually, I did some research. That's why I have it up here on the second monitor. Because 
Turns out uh, there's uh, what I think I got a total of five separate stories and books that I'll use some variant on that exact quote. <laughs> that's the quote that's in the film, the one I just shared with you. But there, apparently a lot of people like that particular quote. I wasn't able to narrow it down to where it originally, originally, originally came from because it went back quite a ways. You can take from that what you want. That is the point, after all. But for me, I look at that like... One of the things we talked about in Onward is that it's the journey that matters, not the destination. But that doesn't apply here. That's too... It's, it's the wrong angle. It's the wrong direction. There needs to be a different way to express that. Because in this case, it's more about knowing what it is that you are. I, I, I don't have a better way to say that. Rather than what you are seeking. So many of us seek something to give us a purpose, to give us a point. I talk so much about the idea of a core and what really keeps us going and what really matters to us. But a core can be something you find or something you are or something you be or something you do. As I've talked many times, it varies, right? Now, for some people, and again, this is why I made that mention earlier, some people do want to find a specific purpose and go out seeking for it. And that may work out for them, and it may not. But you don't have to. If I might quote Lord of the Rings here, it is no bad thing to celebrate a simple life. I love that quote, by the way. That's stuck with me ever since I first heard it. <laughs> Gandalf even references it in the Hobbit movies where he's talking about... Um, you know, I, I think it's the little things, simple acts of kindness and love. That's what keeps the darkness at bay. And well, obviously he's referring into a more literal sense of the forces of evil over there. Think about that sentence for a moment. It's the little things that keep the darkness at bay. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know, I... I'm still thankful that I have a bed every night. You know that? Sorry, I don't know why I'm getting real here. I've not had a bed in the past. I've, I've slept on the streets before. And I've had the ground. I've had cold metal. So I still remember every night just laying down. There's just this sensation of, oh, thank God I have a bed. It's actually a nice bed, too. I saved up for it. Got a nice one. I did my research, tried to figure out what was good for my back, because my back is a little wonky. Not in the usual way. That's the problem. You know, most stuff that works for other people doesn't work for me. So I had to find something that works for me. I took a lot of research. Found a good one. It's good. I like it. And I'm very... I celebrate that every day. Every day. And that's why this film really got to me. Because those little things matter. I've talked about the concept of the Star Destroyer before. If you haven't heard me talk about this very briefly, a lot of people want to be the Star Destroyer, the big, obvious, amazing ship of doom. Yeah, look at it. It's incredible, right? There's got three of them right here. Three different makes, too. But that Star Destroyer is not it. Like, you don't have to be the Star Destroyer. It, it's meaningless if it doesn't have the support staff, if it doesn't have the supplies and the chains and the good leadership and everything else it's got going. It, it, in a vacuum, a Star Destroyer is just a giant paperweight, right? There's nothing wrong with being a simple person or enjoying a simple life. There is nothing wrong with that. And it's something that that I think we need more of. 
I know that sounds so horrible to say that, but I, I wonder how many people are unhappy in the world right now because they want to be a Star Destroyer and they're not. I know I am. I'd take being an SSD. Or the Hyperion. I'd take that too. Tears number two is this scene. Where, they, where he celebrates his life and he's looking at the little things. and This leads to the big conflict. Uh, goes and tries to save uh, 22, who's become a lost soul. And you know their literal soul power is enough to do all sorts of amazing feats of wonder. And of course, nobody wants to actually injure 22, since that's not the goal here. You know, no villains, by the way. Once again, no villains. There was a little hint of them trying to turn Terry into a villain, but it, it didn't really go anywhere, and Terry isn't actually a villain, so. There's this great bit where Joe ends up inside 22's thoughts, effectively, inside 22's mind. And there's just these near expressionless, dead eyes, dead eye socket people. On all sides, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're dumb, nobody likes you, nobody wants to be around you, I'm glad you're not alive. And just constantly, constantly just ranting at how terrible they are, ripping ripping 22 apart mentally and emotionally, and uh, hashtag relatable, by the way. And the final one being Joe himself is just another just massive punch right there in the gut, isn't it? And Joe has to come out and be like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And then Joe willingly gives up his life so that 22 can go be born. I'll be with you as far as I can go. And 22 goes down. I hope they had a good life, whatever their life was. Because only they could decide what good is for them. So Joe accepts death. This ending went through a lot of revisions. I've seen several interviews about this, and they they changed their mind and changed their mind and changed their mind and changed their mind. Um, I kind of like the way this turned out. One of the intended endings was that Joe would actually meet 22, but that wouldn't work for the nature of it, because 22 should be like a brand new newborn, so I can see why they would inject that. But uh, it is a shame, because I would kind of like it if 22 would remember Joe, and vice versa in some way in the future. Maybe just kind of be you know, Zoom pals or something, right? Just hang out in Discord every now and again. But um, I, I do have to admit, at the end, the Jerry's deciding to give Joe his uh, the possibility of a life back makes perfect sense. And I love their solution for Terry. Hey, Terry, what's that? Oh, nothing. Sorry. Were you talking? Never mind. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. It's so simple. I love it. Rather appropriate for this film, isn't it? This then leads naturally to well, the idea... Joe has now been given a chance to live his life. That's the catch, really, because Joe hadn't been living his life for a while there. He'd been so tunnel-visioned on getting to the other side of that fence that when he finally made it, he looked back and was like, what the heck am I doing? Now he can actually hang out with the, the barber dude, who I don't remember his name, but actually maybe get to know him and get to know the other people at the barber place and actually connect with his mom and actually be able to enjoy food again and just being a teacher and all that fun kind of stuff. That second chance was given to him. I hope he makes the most of it. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Pixar block. This has been a hell of a ride. Going straight from Toy Story all the way up to Soul. <laughs> I have learned a lot, studied a lot, shared a lot. 
I really, 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 really hope you all have enjoyed this block. I know it's been a long one. I'm sure several people have bowed out or hasn't have stopped watching at some point online, or only watch a couple specific of these. But going through this whole series, I legitimately feel like I've learned a lot more about filmmaking and animation in specific, uh, just from studying these films and their construction. And I hope I have shared at least a little bit of that enthusiasm in, in, in my various discussions and dissertations, except for Cars 2. Cars 2 can go to hell. I'll see you around, all. Cool.